services on Sunday nights, and um, we've looked at a, uh, he's got a big life uh, in the Bible, and um, this is a portion of his life that uh, I skipped over, and we're in another place now in his life, and um, we're here in Numbers 25, we find that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, have just gone through a really an ordeal that they don't really know about. It's not really revealed to them later till later on. And that is that there is a false prophet, a sorcerer by trade, a wizard, if you will, that has been trying to curse them. And his name is Balaam. And he has tried to do so three times. And he has failed every single one of those times. The fourth time, he doesn't even want to try, but instead of blessing again, he brings cursing. Or excuse me, instead of cursing, he brings blessing. I had that backwards. He brings blessing. And he blesses the children of Israel these many times. And God is pleased with this. This is God's doing. God is... I believe in Numbers chapter number 22, 23, and 24 showing to us that uh, the outworkings of what he says in Psalms 2, I believe it is, where he says that the Lord laughs at the heathen and has them in, the, has them in derision day by day. And uh, God can do what he will. Amen. He is sovereign Lord. And we believe that. And he chose to use a false heathen, ungodly, wicked prophet to bless his people. Um, that's what he chose to do. I'm not going to argue with God. And chapter number 25, though, takes a strange and you might say very grim twist. After all of God's protection upon the children of Israel, the children of Israel are the Jews. They're the people that came out of Egypt. They're the people that Moses led out with a staff and a rod who crossed over the Red Sea and he had all the ten plagues there in Egypt and they've had the Passover and God has been providing for them with manna from heaven and with water from a rock and God has blessed this people tremendously. But as, you've read, as you read through the book of Numbers, you find out that they're not really happy. They're kind of complainers. But their complaining moves to something even worse in this chapter. After all of God's protection and all of God's glory that they have seen, we find that Balaam has one more trick up his sleeve. He thinks to himself, if I cannot get them by cursing them, then I will get them through a different means. I'll get them through immorality. I'll get them through idolatry. I'll get them through gluttony. I'll get them by tempting their flesh. By tempting their flesh. And when they are tempted and when they have uh, fallen for this temptation, he says, uh, God will be mad at them. And you will not have to destroy them, Balak. But God will destroy them. God, their God, will have vengeance on them. 
In fact, we read this in Numbers chapter number 31 and verse number 16 where it says, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. That's what happens in Numbers chapter number 25. You're there. Let's go ahead and just read down through it. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Later on, it's also the daughters of Midian, too, two nations. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. Exodus chapter number 34 tells us that this was forbidden by God. Not just to have relations with the heathen people, but also to eat of their things offered to idols. For the Bible says, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as not been done in all the earth, nor any nation. And all the people which, thou art, thou, which are among you shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do. Observe thou this day, behold, I will drive out the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, lest it be a snare in the midst of thee. But you shall destroy their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest that thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and go a-whoring after their gods, and sacrifice unto their gods. And one call thee, and thou eat his sacrifice." And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and thy, their daughters go a-whoring after their gods. And he says in verse 16, And make thy sons to go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. He's told them in Exodus already in the law that you, will not, you should not do these things. It was made apparent, it was made clear that this was against God's will. Alright? This is against God's will for the people, the children of Israel to do this. Say, Pastor, we're not the children of Israel. I'm, not, I'm definitely not a Jew. I understand that this morning. I'm not saying you are, and I'm not saying you're a child of ch- ch- children of Israel. I'm not saying any of us are a Jew. But these things that were written aforetime, Romans 15, 13 says, were written for our learning and for our understanding. That we maybe apply these things to our lives and understand where we can draw some truths out for us and see where they apply to us in our hearts and our lives. See, the Word of God is quick and powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And it is, a, it, is, it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That's God's Word is what that does. It's not me, it's not a preacher, it's not a church or anything. It's the Word of the Lord poking on us. I've felt that poke a few times. And if you're saved, I know you felt it too. The Bible says, And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, just like Balaam had said would happen. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. Now you're saying, I'm really glad that I'm not a Jew in this time. Amen? (laughs) Amen. You know what happened, don't you? All the elders that sinned in this sin, that committed this sin, they impaled them. You say, that's pretty harsh. Understand this too. We're not talking about a church. We're talking about a nation that had laws 
Does that make sense? And these were the laws of God. And this was God's penalty upon those that broke those laws. The Bible says that in verse number 5, And Moses said unto the judges, Slay ye every man his neighbor that were joined unto Belpeor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto the brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses, in the sight of all of Israel, congregation of the children of Israel. Man, this is, this is blazing now. Can you imagine, just for a moment, if you will? I mean, people are dying. There's a plague that has been broken out upon people. We don't know what the plague looked like. 24,000 people dying. And yet, you've got this real cocky guy that walks in the middle of the camp while everybody's repenting and weeping and brings in a Midianitish woman, which he was told not to do, and right in the middle of everybody, he commits sin. Right in the middle of everybody, just brazenly does it. That's what's happening here. No regard for God or for the things of the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 7, When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, priest saw it, he rose up from among the congregation, he took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through with the man of Israel. And the woman threw her belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. Again, I'll say this too. If somebody commits sin in front of you, don't take a javelin and kill them, okay? It's not the moral of the story today, all right? Just to let you know, all right? Maybe you're here this morning and you thought, man, I did something wrong this morning. Preacher's hiding a javelin behind the, the pulpit back here. Not doing that, okay? I'll let God's word be the javelin today, amen? I'll let his word pierce our hearts because that's what we really need. The Bible says, and those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand, as I said. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and saying, Phineas has has the Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them. That I, may com- that, I, that I consume not the children of Israel with my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him a covenant of peace, and he shall have it in his seat after him. And the covenant shall be an everlasting priesthood, because he was a zealous for his God, and made an atonement for the children of Israel. That will be important later. Now the name of the Israelitish woman that was slain, the Israelite was slain, and the, even the slain with the Midianitish woman, his name was Zimri, and the son of Salu, and the prince of the chief of the house of the Semenites in the name of the Midianitish woman. Her name was Cosby, the daughter of Zur, who was a head of over a people of a chief of a house in Midian. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them, for they vex you with their wiles, their tricks, wherewith they were beguiled in the matter of Peor, in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, which was slain in the day of the plague for Peor's sake. I'm going to preach a message to you this morning I've entitled, Connected to the World. Connected to the World. Connected to the World. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the Word. It is your Word, and we, Lord, we just ask that you would just speak through it. And that, Father, you would slay my heart and show me where I have failed you. Lord, you've already done that very well this morning. While I approached you at the throne room, Lord, I'm thankful for the forgiveness of sins in the blood of Jesus. And though while I'm thankful for that, Father, Lord, I cannot help but see in my own life that, God, there are times that, Lord, I want to be still connected. And, Lord, I don't need to be. 
For Lord, I, I'm connected to a better branch. And that is Jesus Christ the Lord. And Father, I pray for anybody here today that's not in Jesus, that's not saved, that's never trusted Christ as Savior, that they would just see the zeal of our Lord, the zeal of the Son of God, and His love for us, who was pierced through, not with just knives and swords and spears, but with many sorrows. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And oh God, how your son looks down upon this world today and sees the sin wretchedness that is here. Lord, how his heart cries out for those that would be saved. I pray if there's anybody lost here today that, Father, they would trust Christ as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 1 John 5.21 tells us, this is the New Testament, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. My proposition today is real simple. Two-word sentence. Sin destroys. I don't care what way you look at it. I don't care how you dice it or how you cut it up. You don't have to live in this world for very long. But if any of you are over the age of 20 or 30, or especially if you're over the age of 40 or more, you have found out that sin destroys. It wrecks homes. It wrecks families. It wrecks bodies, literally. Sin destroys. It destroys. The nation of Israel, whose God was the Lord whose God was their spiritual husband, whose God was their spiritual protector and physical protector, whose God was their shield and whose God was their strength, whose God had watched over them during the time of cursing of Balaam. When Balaam had tried to curse them those four times and his curses were useless against God's people. Yet they still, still went away from the Lord. And one thing can be sure is this, is that 1,400 years later, there was another book of the Bible that was written. It was called the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation chapter number 3, there was a church named Pergamum. And the Bible teaches us that they still had the same problems that the children of Israel had. For the Bible says in that passage, I have a few things against thee because there has some that are in there that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. And now we're living 1900 and so many odd years after that fact that this book was written, Revelation, 19, Revelation 2 and verse number 14. And I would say that the church has still not solved that problem. I would say that the church has not eradicated these sins. And I believe that if all of us were honest with ourselves, that all of us would have to submit and have to say that none of us have arrived. None of us are there. None of us are where we should be or could be. 
James 4.4 is very bold. Whenever James says this, he says, the adulterers and adulteresses. Now, he's not talking about physical relationships there. This is not a physical relationship, what he's talking about. He's talking about a spiritual connection in James 4.4. So if any of us get a little puffed up in here this morning and say, well, I never committed adultery. I've never done that. Well, have you ever been, in, have you ever been a friend with the world and been saved? Listen to what he says. The adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Friendship with the world is an enemy that all of us as believers must face continually. And sadly, I believe it's even an activity that's normalized in some churches and in some circles. But in this message today that being connected to the world, I want us to become unconnected, disconnected, because sin destroys. Sin destroys. Let's look at four principles, four basic principles for our understanding today to see that sin destroys. Number one is this, is sin is deceptive. Sin is deceptive. Balaam employs a trick upon them he hopes will work, as I already read to you in Numbers chapter number 31 in verse number 6. The people fall for it. They take the bait, if you will, hook, line, and sinker. Anybody ever been fishing before? You know? You ever, you ever seen a fish? I mean, it just, I mean, it just swallows the whole hook, you know? It, it had no regard for what it was going after, Right? I mean, it was just hungry, it was lustful, it wasn't playing with it, it wasn't fiddling with it. No, I mean, all of a sudden, it just ate the hook. No discernment, no discretion. Just go out there and get it. Now, Moab and Midian, all right, they're heathen people, all right? The people of that day in, this, in these scriptures were especially licentious people, all right? You can just read the law of God and what they were practicing, all right? God had to say, hey, don't, y'all aren't to be uh, having relationships with animals. Now, that's a weird command, right, for some of us. But you know what the next word says? It says, as the people that are among you do. I mean, they were especially licentious. They sold their young daughters into prostitution. They had no regard for morals whatsoever. And so, in order to trick the children of Israel and to get them to sin, they actually take their wives and their daughters and they prostitute them to the children of Israel. Thousands of them. In order that God might judge them. In order that God might seduce, in order that they might be seduced. And then they invite them to a they invite them to a feast, to a drunken party, and to commit abominable idolatries. You know, sin is deceptive. Sin always looks good on the outside. Amen? I mean, you got the you got the, you got the women here. They're beautiful. They're offering themselves up to these men. They're saying, oh, here, let's just take them. Sin is deceptive. It's deceptive. It looks good on the outside. From the outside looking in, it's like, man, this looks like 
a plan. Sin is also tastes good at first. They said, hey, come on over here, guys. We've got a big feast for you. We've got a big feast for you. Hey, it's like John, though. It was sweet to my mouth, but it was gravel in my belly. You know? And that's what sin is like. Sin tastes good at first. But then after it's ingested for a little while, it's like whenever somebody gets drunk, right? All right? Some of you weren't saved at five. All right? I understand that. You can relate to this. It's fun getting drunk. Oh, it's ha- we're having a good time. But then you wake up in the morning and you've, what the Bible calls, you've been, you have surfeiting. You said, I've been surfing? No, that's not what to, you got a hangover. You got a headache. You can't think straight at work. I mean, by two o'clock in the afternoon, you're just like sweating, you're cold and you're ready to go home. And you just, you can't even think right. Why? Sin. Sin. That's what happens. Sin looks good at first. Sin tastes good at first. Sin is fun. That sounds weird coming from a preacher, right? (laughs) Anybody think that sounds weird coming from a pastor right there? Sin is fun. I've even got the Bible to back that up. James 5.5. You have lived in pleasure on the earth. You've lived in pleasure. You've had been having a good time. You've nourished your hearts. You've been wanton. You've been licentious. You've been immoral. I mean, you're just having a good old time. Of Hebrews eleven twenty five says this is that Moses chose rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy. And here's the key, though: the pleasures of sin for a season. A season. See, everything's got a season to it, right? You might not think it, but we will get, it will not be 105 degrees in November, okay? All right? Okay? I'm not a prophet or son of a prophet, all right? All right? Just basing things off normal meteorological uh, estimates and yearly understandings. But everything's got its season, okay? In Texas, you got hot and cold. That's it. You know what I mean? Or hot and semi-cold. Uh, or hot and snow-cop-pocalypse, you know what I mean? You just don't ever know what's going to happen. It's pleasure, though, for a season. It's pleasurable for a little while. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it, it sure, it, it's nice to be in that. It's good, it's fun, until somebody gets hurt, right? Gambling is great as long as you're winning. But the odds say that you're going to lose. And you're probably going to lose big. Real big. Say, why do we do it, Pastor? We do it because we love it. Hosea 9.10, speaking of this exact same instance, I found this very interesting. This exact same account is recorded for us in Hosea. A thousand plus years later. And it says this, I have found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers, the first ripe, fig, first ripe in the fig tree at her first time. I mean, I saw Israel. She was pleasant. She was nice. She was good to look upon. I mean, she was ready for the harvest. Oh, I mean, she was so ready to go into promised land. I mean, she was doing so good. 
But they went to Baal Peor and separated themselves under that shame, and their abominations were according as they loved. As they loved. You and I sin because we love the sin more than we love God. See, I just kind of fell into it. Don't write it off that easy, my friend. No, you love the sin more than you love God. What's the number one law of God? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That's the number one, that's the number one law. Sin, though, sticks around. I bet you some of you are in this room right now. I'm one of them. I'll raise my hand. You've got consequences of sin that you did when you were 14, 15, 16, 20, 21, 22, 24, 25 years old, and it's still with you to this day. It might be a disability. It might be scars that nobody can see. It might be something else in your life that has hurt you. It might be a physical problem. It might be a broken relationship. Maybe it wasn't your fault. But sin sticks around. Joshua told the children of Israel this uh, about, about 40 years after this whole event happened. He says this. He says, is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from, from which we are not cleansed until this day? Although there was a plague of con- in the congregation of the Lord, Joshua says, hey, this is 40 years from now, and we're still having to deal with this issue that happened in Peor. Don't ever think that my little sin is just going to kind of get written off. My friend, you don't know how long that thing will stick around with you. You have no idea. So I'll just look at something. I'll just look a little bit at something on the Internet. You might be a teenager. I'll just look at a little bit on the internet. You don't know. You might be 50 years old, 60 years old, and still struggling with the same thing that you looked at 40 years ago. I'll just do that a little bit. I'll just do it a little bit. Listen, if I'm faithful to my wife for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, is all of my years of faithfulness going to be able to account for one act of infidelity? No. Not one. Not one. We can't say, well, I just do it a little bit. No, sin infects, my friend. Sin destroys. Sin is deceptive. But can I give you some good news? You say, man, I've been looking for some. Sin can be defeated. Deuteronomy chapter number 4 and verses 3 and 4. I was a little discouraged too by reading the passage. But I can tell you this, that the account of God tells us that all did not sin on that day. The Bible says, Your eyes have seen what the Lord did because of Baal Peor. For all the men that followed Baal Peor, I'm sure we're all familiar with what Baal Peor is by now, right? The Lord that God hath destroyed them from among you. But look at this. But ye did cleave unto the Lord your God, are alive everyone unto this very day. Praise God. Not everybody has to sin and not everybody sins. 
and does wrong and, does, and just gets off into ungodly things. You don't have to be sinning, believer. You have a victory that's been given to you through Jesus Christ the Lord. How am I going to stay away from it? Hang on to that which is good. Cleave, the Bible says in Romans 12, 9. He says, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Hold on to that which is good. Hold on to the good book, amen? Don't let this book be getting dusty, okay? Get you a good pen and a good ballpoint pen and go ahead and underline it and find some good words in there and write them down and take you a little journal. I've been doing that this year. It's the first year. I've done it some, but it's my first year in a long time that I've been consistently writing in my journal every single day a little bit of what I've gotten out of God's Word. Man, it's been good. Write down something. Write down something. If it's not in a journal, write it in your Bible. Say, my Bible's not big enough. Listen, you find, go find you an extra wide margin Bible, all right? Find something. Do something. Get in the book. Cleave to that which is good. Cleave to your marriage, amen? Your marriage is good. Say, so we got married in sin. Hey, listen. Listen, my friend. You're saved now. Are you saved now? If you're saved, you know what? You live for God. Well, I got, I, I wasn't, we weren't saved whenever we got married. There's no place in God's word that tells me that you ought to get a divorce because you're not, because that's the case now. No, cleave to that which is good. God created marriage. Amen. God did cleave to that which is good. Listen to the word of God. Hang on to that which is good. Don't hang out with ungodly friends. Amen. You want, to see, you want to see sin defeated in your life? Listen to this. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners, okay? All right? I mean, that word communications doesn't even mean what it means today, but man, it applies so well. <laughs> I mean, how many relationships have been ruined through some bad communications on Facebook, amen? Or Instagram or TikTok or whatever you want to do, whatever, whatever your social media on this day, all right? Whatever you're, whatever you're doing today. The thing is this, is that all of us, all of us have, a, have connections to this world. We have friends that are in this world. We have people that we know. We have family members that are not saved, all right? I'm not saying that you completely separate from them and never have anything to do with them. That's unbiblical, okay? What I am saying is this, is that when you get in a bind, when you get in some trouble, when you have an issue, you know what? You ought to be calling your pastor. You ought to be calling your Christian friend and saying, please pray for me. Don't call the person that's living in sin. All right? They're not going to be able to help you. Why? Because their mind's clouded with sin. Call somebody that can help you with the Word of God and will tell you the truth and won't be ashamed to tell you what is right. You know, sad about this world is this, is that some people, be, you know, some people in this world will say, yeah, my mom, she did this to me and oh, she hurt me and everything and, and I'm just never going to talk to her ever again and everything like that. And you'll have an ungodly friend will say, say yeah, you're right. I would never talk to her either. I mean, you know, if you've got somebody like that chirping on your shoulder, you know what? You've got the wrong friend. No, you need to have a friend that says, listen, I, I can understand what you're going through. I, I, I get that. But the Scriptures tells us that we ought to forgive, even as Christ forgave us. But you don't understand what they did to me. Listen, I don't have to understand what they did to you. I know what, I know what I've done to Jesus. And He forgave me, and He forgave you. And you say you're a believer, right? 
forgive them. That's not easy to talk like that. I understand. But the point being is this, is that don't be connected to hang out with ungodly friends. Hang up on evil knowledge. Hang out, hang on to that which is good. Hang out, don't hang out with ungodly friends. Hang up on evil knowledge. What do y'all do when y'all get a spam call? When when you answer the phone and you go, hello? What do y'all do next? Click, don't you? (laughs) Some of y'all, some of y'all give them a gospel. I know some of y'all do, you know. I think somebody in this church started doing that, and then he realized that the more he talked to them, the more spam calls that he got. And so, uh, hey, I get those phone calls, and it starts to, it goes, it goes, notice there's nobody there. I just hang up, you know. We would like for you to enroll in a new car warrant plan, you know. No, thanks. I'm good. don't need that. I don't need that. Hang up on evil knowledge. He tells us in Romans 16, 19, it says, be simple concerning evil. Listen, we don't need to know everything that's going on out in the world, folks. We don't need to know every definition of every sin that is out there. We need to be simple concerning evil. And then hang on to Christ. Sin can be defeated. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. But thirdly, sin must be put to death. All right? This is a great picture illustration for us of what spiritually we're to be doing in our personal lives. Jesus didn't call us to kill anybody. Okay? Amen? Amen. Who's with me there? All right? Jesus did not call us to kill anybody, okay? He didn't call us to take javelins and stab them through Cosby and, and Zimri, okay? All right? God didn't call us to that. But God did call us to judge ourselves. And He did call us to put to death the evil that is in our own lives. He did say to us as Christians, He said, Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers and believers. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and be with them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Listen, folks, we've got to get to the place in our lives, if we're going to disconnect from the world, then we're literally going to have to sometimes literally disconnect. We're literally going to have to just throw some things away. We've got some DVDs that just literally need to go away. We've got, some, we've got some things in our life that just need to say, you know what, I've just got to disconnect from that. The children of the people of God in the book of Acts, after they got saved, I think it was in Ephesus, I believe it was, that after they got saved there in Ephesus, the church there in Ephesus took all of their occultish items, all right, their satanic influences, occult items, and they took them to a field and they burned them. You say it was worth a whole lot of money. Yeah, it was. It was worth a whole lot of money. But you know what? What are you going to do? Palm that off on somebody else? And let them get into ungodly things? No. Just burn it. Just get rid of it. 
done with it. I'm disconnecting from that life. Disconnecting from that. I'm not going to have that in my life anymore. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 5, it says mortify. That means to kill, to destroy, to put down. Therefore, all your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, unordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Galatians 5, 24. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts there. Of. He said, man, I, I don't struggle with the immorality, the immoral things like they were struggling with. Yeah, but do you struggle with gluttony? Do you struggle with covetousness, wanting more and more and more and more and more and more? John D. Rockefeller, the richest man in all the world at the time, said this. They said, how much money would it take for a man to make him happy? He smiled and smirked and looked at, right at him and said to the journalist, he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And you know what? The richest man in all the world knew it, knew it well, that it's not enough. It's not enough. There's never enough. But when you've got God, it's enough. When you're in Christ, you can abide satisfied. Covetousness, which is idolatry. Put that away from you. Get that out of you. Kill that thing of covetousness. So how do I do that? Cut up credit cards. So, oh man, I didn't think we was going to get personal here today. You know? you know? Hey, go ahead. If it, I'll tell you one thing. My wife and I were just talking about this last night, okay? I'm as guilty as, as anybody that might have the same issue, all right? Some of us might need to log out of the Amazon account. The world has made it so easy to be covetous, hasn't it? I mean, you can just get on Amazon and order something in 30 seconds. And then what do we do? Three days, uh, the, the next day, it shows up at our house, there's three packages on our door, and we go, huh, what did I order? <laughs> you know, has anybody ever done that? Am I the only person in here? Don't sound like it, you know. What did, what did we order? I don't even, I, don't, I can't even remember. The thing is this, is folks, we've got to put these things to death. They're done. Say, so get them out of my life. I don't want these in my life. I don't want this in my heart. Say, so, so man, I really should. When I go to the store, I just want to buy, 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 buy. Then you know what? Don't go to the store. Don't go to the store. Don't go there. Stay away from that place. Crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. And then finally, this is the best point, all right? I save the best for last. Not because I think it's the best, but because it's about Jesus. Sin is destroyed by Jesus. Sin is destroyed by Jesus. Sin is deceptive. Sin can be defeated. Sin must be put to death. But sin is destroyed by Jesus. Eliezer, Phineas, took that spear, that javelin, and he jabbed it through both of them right there. You know what the Bible says about Jesus in John 19, 34? But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. Listen, my friend. I'm here to tell you that we're living in an age of grace. 
And there's no Phineas here to take a javelin and to pierce you through because you've been fornicating or you've been drunk or you've been a liar or you've been covetous or you've been an idolater or you've been gluttonous or you've been, or you've been uh, looking on things on the internet. There's no Phineas that's hiding in the back room that's ready to take a javelin and pierce you through, my friend. But I tell you this, because there's been one that has gone to a cross and he's had his hands and he's had his feet pierced and he's had his head pierced with thorns, of, with thorns upon his head, a crown of thorns, and he has finally had his side pierced with a javelin with a spear and blood and water signifying this, that he poured out every last drop of blood. Every bit of it. So that you and me and the rest of this world would not have to go to hell. And we could have our sins forgiven. We could have a new life in Jesus Christ. We could have Christ as our Lord. Christ took the punishment for us, my friend. He took the punishment upon Himself. And He became a greater one than Phineas. I don't have time to get into it, but there's a great study on that. Phineas is actually, his lineage will be a part of the everlasting priesthood that will be set up into the millennial reign. But you know what? There is a better priest than that. We have a pierce. We have a we have a priest that was that was pierced himself, and he became the everlasting priesthood. He became the one. I love what it says here. Does this not ring out for us New Testament language? Whenever you read in verse number eleven, it says, "And Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel." Do you know what that's called? That is called a biblical word in the book of Romans: propitiation. That God has turned His wrath away. That God has turned His anger away from us. And sinner friend, I'll tell you this morning, is that if you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, is that Christ Jesus the Lord, His death upon Calvary's cross and His blessed resurrection three days later, don't forget that, He rose again from the dead. It appeased the wrath of God. And God was satisfied. And just like, Eliot, just like, just like He did, it says in verse number 14, is that he made an atonement. He was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. You know what Jesus did? He was zealous for his God. And he made an atonement for all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He was made not after the law, a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified by His blood, we shall be saved by wrath through Him. For if when we were the enemies and reconciled by the death of His Son, much more we shall be saved by His life. And verse 11 says, And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Believer, you don't have to sin. Sin's been defeated. Sin is done. Put it to death. Mortify, mortify, therefore, your members which are in your body. 
But I close by speaking to anybody here today that's never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Christ is your atonement at one mint. You are separated from God, and He has come to reconcile you, to bring you back to God, and to save you. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that with all your heart? That God died for your sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Why don't you call upon him today? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer.